This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The show must go on. That's the spirit behind Opera Atelier's production of Armide taking place in Paris this weekend. The Toronto-based opera company began arriving in France as the devastating terrorist attack unfolded. It has since been quite a week leading up to the performances. Today we'll hear from co-artistic director Marshall Pinkowski. Plus, what drives someone to extreme religious beliefs? Psychologist Stephen Reese is the author of The 16 Strivings for God, and he'll join us in just a few. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. C'est très important d'apporter des fleurs à nos morts. C'est très important de voir plusieurs fois le livre d'Hemingway, Paris est une fête. That's a French Zoomer named Danielle in a news clip that went viral. In the wake of the terror attacks, she was urging people to read A Movable Feast, Ernest Hemingway's classic account of his life in 1920s Paris. Paris en fête, as it is titled in French, has soared up French bestseller lists and sold out in bookstores as mourners place copies between flowers and candles at the makeshift memorials for the victims. This echoes the literary renaissance for Voltaire's treatise on tolerance, which broke the bookstore and Amazon after the Charlie Hebdo and kosher market killings in January. New research in the UK has found that many employers are worried about a skills gap as Zoomers start leaving the workforce. A study from Robert Half UK, a recruitment company, has found that 74% of finance directors are concerned that widespread retirement of baby boomers will have a negative impact on their businesses over the next two years. Here in Canada, a new report indicates that food bank use is on the rise among seniors and children. Food Bank Canada wants tax measures that would put more money into the hands of low-income earners. The group's executive director says a minimum income for those living near or below the poverty line would likely save money for governments in the end. And finally, it's a heartbreaking story that shows the power of love. After being married for 56 years, Dick and Joan Flutie, the parents of former Toronto Argonaut Doug Flutie, died within an hour of each other this Wednesday. Doug Flutie shared the sad news with his fans on Facebook. He said his father, Dick, had been ill and died of a heart attack in the hospital. Less than an hour later, his mother, Joan, suddenly had a heart attack and also passed away. In his post, Flutie wrote, They say you can die of a broken heart, and I believe it. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
In just over a week, we've seen murderous attacks in Paris, Mali, Tel Aviv, and the West Bank. It makes us all ask the question, what drives these terrorists and how much of it is a perverted expression of religious belief? Dr. Stephen Rees is an expert on the psychology behind religious belief. I reached him at his office in Columbus for his thoughts on what motivates religious extremists. A lot of uh, people thought that uh, religion was about the fear of death and uh, that people uh, believed in God and the afterlife because it made them less fearful of dying, uh, which, of course, is terrifying. But um, uh, we find that's just one of the 16 things. Uh, there are lots of things that religion is about that have really you know, nothing to do with the fear of death, uh, such as morality, uh, uh, order, uh, you know, a sense that, that there's structure, a feeling of importance, and so on. These things are psychologically unrelated to the fear of death, and religion is much broader and much richer and deeper. After the terrible events in Paris, people are thinking about religious extremism and uh, the kind of violence that we're seeing. How do those desires and religion, how does it turn into that? Part of it is really loyalty to ancestors which is one of the uh, desires. In their minds, they are expressing loyalty to their ethnic group by uh, acting in these, in these extreme ways and by attacking. Uh, individuals, though, may be looking for glory. They may be looking to make a difference. Now, between Christians and, and Muslims, there may be some value differences that at least irritate the relationship. You know, some people have said that Islam is a violent religion. I, I wouldn't agree with that, but I think Christianity may be a nonviolent religion. And, uh, and so there may, be, uh, there may be some sort of difference in value. Now, there, there might not be much difference in behavior, you know, because certainly Christians have been violent, uh, the Crusades and Absolutely. so on and so forth. But the relationship may be driven by values as much or more than behavior. When we hear the narrative uh, of a lot of people trying to explain this extreme behavior, violence, and terrorism, people usually talk about, oh, they're alienated, they don't have jobs, um, you know, that kind of, uh, I guess, liberal uh, narrative, that this extremism is caused by being deprived of whatever. Uh, as a psychologist, do you buy that? No, I, I don't think so. That, that, those sorts of things lead to actually ineffective behaviors, and uh, you're seeing something a little more effective coming from the, from the terrorist groups. I, I, I think this is about loyalty. This, this is about, you know, loyalty to Islam is, is driving this in part. Plus, I think, you know, you may have people who want to make a difference, people who, you know, want to get involved in something that they think is important and stuff like that. But this other stuff, like you're mentioning, that's, that's more kind of a, on an individual level. And those people may be unhappy, and um, they tend to be ineffective. The things that you've mentioned, uh, loyalty, making a difference, all of those things, you know, can be used for good. So how does it turn into such uh, barbaric acts? Well, it's not just what you want, it's how much you want and how badly you want it. And uh, that's a big difference in the work that we do, is that we look at both. We look at how much people want things. So if you want an extreme degree of loyalty, if, if you have a need to express a lot of loyalty, then you have to do something a bit unusual and a bit exceptional. Is it some kind of switch that makes you think it's okay to behead people? 
well, beheading people, you got to add in more than more than loyalty. I mean, that, now you're talking, you know, vengeance, violence, aggression. You have a very you have a very aggressive person too. So, uh, so it's kind of a combination uh, of needs. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that a lot of these people. I don't think they think they're doing they're doing anything wrong. I think that they they think they're defending their uh, their faith. It's a mistake to sort of dismiss them as maybe you know bizarre or crazy or what. I think they're defending their group. I think it's about honor and loyalty from their side. I think you shouldn't dismiss the people as kind of. You know, it's crazy, maybe extreme, but not, not, not crazy. You would not judge them to be mentally ill or anything like that? No. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Stephen Reese, author of The 16 Strivings for God. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. A year ago, Toronto's Opera Atelier booked a gig performing at the Palace of Versailles this weekend. The company's founders had just touched down in France when the terrorist attacks occurred last Friday. Needless to say, it's been an intense week, but the show is going on. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Opera Atelier's co-artistic director, Marshall Pinkowski. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. The Chateau has dedicated the opening night performance to the victims of the massacre. It's an incredibly moving event for all of us. That's co-artistic director Marshall Pinkowski talking about Opera Atelier's sold-out performances of the Opera Armide in Paris this weekend. It's a Baroque work written by Louis XIV's court composer and set during the First Crusade. The Christian knight Renaud and the Muslim warrior princess Armid are bent on destroying each other, but instead fall hopelessly in love. The show was booked into the Versailles Palace, the Chateau, a year ago, but in an extraordinary turn, it is coming to the stage exactly a week after the deadly attacks by Muslim extremists. I reached Marshall during a break in rehearsals. Jeanette and I arrived in Versailles the day of the terrorist attack. And it was some time before we even realized it had happened in Versailles. We had multiple meetings. We hit the ground running. It wasn't until we got to our hotel and we had a phone call from Toronto telling us that this had happened. Our first reaction was wondering, would the Chateau have a show at this time? Would they be able to handle the security for so many people? And also, would all of the artists from Canada be able to come? Would they be willing to come? You and Jeanette were there, but the rest of the cast and the crew were not. Absolutely. The first wave was going to be singers and dancers, then our administration, then all of Tafel Music Baroque Orchestra. It's almost 80 people that had to be here in order to realize this show. So, so what did you do? Did you, did you get in touch with all of them or what? We got in touch with the office asking where things stood. The office made it clear to us, our general manager, Alex, said that she was going to let everyone know that there was no pressure whatsoever to come, that there would be no repercussions. If anyone felt uncomfortable, they were able to stay home. So this was 
really nerve-wracking, to say the least. And it's amazing. Virtually every person, after they found out about the attack, chose to be here. It's amazing. Were there discussions with the Chateau about whether the show would in fact go on? There were discussions, but it was more a question of what security measures were being taken. Because I'll tell you, it's been amazing here in Versailles and in Paris. Everything has continued and gone on. The people in France have decided to show the world that they refuse to be terrified by terror. And it is one of the most impressive things I've seen. People sitting in cafes outside, cafes around the corner from where the shooting took place. The streets are full of people. These people have decided that life goes on and they won't have their way of life stolen from them. Can you share with us uh, what kind of increased security there is for your performances? Uh, The sheer number of police, of armed guards that are around the chateau, it's incredibly impressive. The security even to be able to step inside the chateau, both traveling with our passports, but also our security badges. Uh, It's, uh, we can't make a move without having to identify ourselves and uh, to make certain that we are going through all the proper checkpoints. How were ticket sales affected? It will be completely sold out. All three performances? Absolutely. And uh, do you have some special guests? We have a lot of special guests. It's, uh, It's amazing. A number of Canadians have come. There are many, many French uh, dignitaries and politicians who will be here as well opening night. In fact, the president of the Chateau will address the audience opening night, then the director of spectacle at the show, then I will speak to the audience, then the Marseillaise, then a minute silence, then we go into the performance. What do you think about the um, incredible, I don't know, coincidence of it all, of your being there at this time and the theme of the show? You know, Libby, it's, it's one of those things that you can't even begin to turn your head around. It, it just makes me realize there are things that come together in our lives that are inexplicable. To call it a coincidence is just, just seems so lame. It's something that's so much Sorry. more extraordinary than that. It's, uh, oh, did you call it a coincidence? Yes, I did. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean that in the least. I was thinking more in touch of us trying to find a word because we've all said... Serendipity, perhaps? Yeah. Serendipity. Something, it's something, it's, or just, just the fact that the world comes together in certain ways, certain, uh, certain things come together and influence each other. Uh, a confluence of events that somehow uh, come together at a particular moment. What can, you, what can you call it? It's extraordinary. I can't even begin to turn my head around it. And has this experience uh, changed you and even your artistic approach? What are, what are you going to bring back from this? Well, you know, I think... I mean, artists are always emphasizing the fact that the arts are important in their own right, that they have something to offer socially. I'm tired of hearing that children should study the piano so that it will improve their math mark or whatever, and that we always have to justify the arts, rather than saying the arts are important in their own right. But this is a situation where we can say, this is what we mean. 
this this is an important event in its own right. The arts have the potential of healing people, of bringing people together, of giving them confidence, of being a rallying point. It's given us, as 70, 80 Canadians, something intimately in common with the people of France and the people here in Versailles. So uh, I think it's the most profound experience of the arts I've had in my entire career, and I think probably everyone else who is here would, would agree. On that note, I wish you all the best Thank uh, you. with your performances, and I look forward to seeing you when you're back. I've been speaking with Marshall Pinkowski, co-artistic director of Opera Atelier. Their production of the Opera Armide is taking place this weekend in Paris. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return with music from Gordon Lightfoot. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. To New York, where King Charles III is playing, it's about what happens when Prince Charles finally ascends to the throne. Tim Pigott-Smith plays the lead. It felt a little bit controversial to do... King Charles III is at the Music Box Theatre. In Washington, D.C., the first exhibition at the newly renovated Renwick Gallery at the Smithsonian is open. Wonder features nine contemporary artists who've created room-sized installations inspired by the building, which was the first in the U.S. created specifically for the purpose of housing an art museum. And in London... James Bond fans may wish to drop by Madame Tussauds Museum, where a team of artists has spent the last four months creating all six of the men who've played 007 over the years. The lifelike figures are on display until the end of the month, after which they'll be heading to other Madame Tussauds locations around the world. For the International Arts Book, I'm Bob Compson. This week, Canadian music legend Gordon Lightfoot celebrated his 77th birthday. For decades, he's been one of Canada's most celebrated songwriters and a favourite here at Zoomer Radio. This month also marks the anniversary of the inspiration for one of his most famous songs, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a stormy November evening in 1975 when the freighter went down in Lake Superior. A year later... Lightfoot read a recounting of the incident in Newsweek magazine and sat down to write the iconic song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. That was Gordon Lightfoot with a bit of The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Lightfoot celebrated his 77th birthday this week. And this month marks the 40th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandriel.
This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.